Hello, this is Peggy Joyce Ruth. Welcome to our podcast and hope you enjoy this teaching. I've entitled it, Don't Ignore Satan Answering. Now I want to give you some review because the enemy's primary plan is to impress us with mind thoughts. And anytime we take that mind thought in, we've accepted the package that he's gotten for us. It may be fear, it could be rejection, it could be doubt, it could be any number of things. But God has brought most of us to the point where we've progressed in our spiritual walk and we don't consciously take in those mind thoughts now when we know what he's doing. If a thought of fear comes, we know not to take it in. But his next plan, the next assignment, is if we won't take it in, he tries to get us to ignore those mind thoughts instead of answering them. See, if the enemy can't get us to take it in and accept it as our thinking when they come, then the next best thing is for him to deceive us into ignoring those mind thoughts and just do nothing. But see, those thoughts don't disintegrate. They don't go away just because we've ignored them. See, ignoring is not a spiritual weapon. We're going to find out that when we ignore something, it does not tear down the stronghold. Now that thought goes and it kind of finds a little corner in our subconscious mind, out of our conscious thinking, but it lies there dormant and it's ready to rear its ugly head the moment that it's needed. Have you ever found out that maybe you haven't even thought about being rejected or you haven't even thought about being hurt? But a thought of hurt comes through your mind and you don't pay it any attention and you go on your merry way and it may be a week or two but something comes up and a little bitty something happens and all of a sudden you're so hurt or you feel so rejected. See, that thought was there and it was ready to just come to the foreground when it was needed. Now it's like we said last week that we can ignore him after we've adequately taken care of the thought. But we don't want to ignore him initially because we said last week that the only assignment breaking, the only tragedy stopping, the only plan busting that we're ever going to do is going to be with our spiritual weapons. The weapons that God has given to us that have been divinely empowered to fight a spiritual enemy. See, only a spiritual weapon will fight a spiritual enemy. And when we use God's weapons and we do it God's way, then we will tear down the plan of the enemy. Now, I want to very clearly tell you how to answer the enemy. Because some people have said, okay, well, if I'm not supposed to ignore him, I'm supposed to answer. How do I answer Satan? Okay, you take a portion of Scripture, a promise from God's Word, that contradicts Satan's attack. In other words, a portion of Scripture that contradicts the thought that has come to you. And begin to meditate on that portion of Scripture. Just say it out loud and think on it and read it and pray about it until it becomes a conviction down in your heart, until you believe that with all of your heart. And when that happens, then when you say that to the enemy, a thought will come and you'll answer it with that portion of Scripture. You're going to find that at that point it is a spiritual weapon and it literally will do battle and it'll tear down that stronghold in the spiritual realm because then it's a weapon that's coming out of your mouth. Now, when the Word of God is a conviction in our heart, then everything that comes out of our mouth is going to be causing something good to happen in the spiritual realm. Now, that should be very exciting to realize that when this becomes a conviction and we say it, then every time we're saying it, we're causing something good to happen in the spiritual realm. 
Now we're going to take up where we left off last week and I'm going to give you some more examples. And with each of the examples, then we're going to talk about how we could have answered the enemy in that particular situation. When Jack was working at 3M, they had a solution that was called MEK and they used it to clean the machinery. And sometimes they would have their hands and their arms down in that solution for maybe a half day at a time while they were trying to scrub all the parts. And one day he dropped a screwdriver down in that solution and he didn't fish it out for 30 or 40 minutes. And when he did, there was only the metal shaft. The hard plastic parts of the screwdriver had completely dissolved. Well, that was pretty frightening considering that he was keeping his hands and his arms down in that solution for long periods of time. Well, later we found out that it had some really bad side effects on the people and we found out that a lot of the people were getting sick and I just began to panic. And I thought, I don't have any idea how to answer these fear thoughts that are coming to me because it's a fact that he's had his hands in this solution. It's a fact that a lot of people are getting sick. And so the Lord began to remind me of Mark chapter 16. It says, if you drink any deadly poison, it'll not hurt you. And I thought, well, Lord, he didn't drink that. How is that going to work? And so the Lord impressed me to look that up. And I found out that that word that had been translated drink was to imbibe. And it meant to take in to your body through absorbing, to take in through inhaling into your lungs when you drink something or even when you take something into your mind. Well, at first I had a really hard time believing that and so I just started meditating on it and I thought about it and I prayed about it and I would read it over and over and I would just confess it until suddenly I realized that that was a spiritual weapon and that God had shown that to me and I realized that all of a sudden that was a conviction in my heart that I knew that if I drank any deadly poison, if Jack drank any deadly poison, if we absorbed it, any way that we took it into our body, it was not going to hurt us because God said so. Now, we don't test God by taking something in on purpose, but when the enemy brings something against us and he begins to say, hey, you're a goner, it's too late now, you know, you've gone too far, don't buy that. Don't buy the fact that Satan's telling you it's too late. Use the Word of God because there's absolutely nothing that will supersede the Word of God if you'll believe it and you'll stand steadfast and you'll say, God, this is the spiritual weapon you've given me and I'm not going to lay it down. Now, in a marriage, you'd be surprised how many people are hit with just a little fleeting thought that's sent by the enemy to destroy that marriage. And if it becomes a stronghold, if they take it in and they think on it till it becomes a stronghold, it will destroy the marriage. Let me give you some examples. I don't feel in love with my mate anymore. If that's a thought that comes into a person's mind and they begin to think on it, maybe they're not consciously thinking on it, but every time something happens, that thought's right there to come to the foreground. You know, I'm really not in love with my mate anymore. And pretty soon, it'll begin to build a stronghold. Or my mate doesn't treat me like he or she used to treat me. Or it's hopeless. I don't see any way out except divorce. And as long as we begin to take that word divorce and we let it stay in our subconscious thinking, finally it's going to build a stronghold and we'll feel hopeless. We'll feel like that's the only avenue. Or I do for my husband or my wife constantly, but he or she never does anything for me. 
Now, there may even be some truth in what the enemy is saying, but if we take that thought in and we adopt it, then it's over. But if we fight it with the Word of God, then we're going to find that God will come to bat for us. He'll start changing the situation. As we stand firm on the Word of God, then it's amazing how God can work things around and do miracles. Now, sometimes people will think, well... I can't get any sexual satisfaction with my mate unless I do some fantasizing about another person or unless I stimulate my mind with a little bit of pornography. And if that person takes that thought from the enemy and keeps that thought in their mind, then pretty soon they're going to begin to rely on something else other than God's way. And a stronghold will set in to tear down the marriage. Now the list could go on and on of thoughts that the enemy brings in an attempt to establish a stronghold to destroy that marriage. And the strength just to ignore those thoughts. Now, that's not going to be enough. We don't need to just have the strength to ignore the thoughts. We need to get into the Word and find a scripture that we use to answer the enemy every single time. See, you have to actively and maybe sometimes even loudly, not for the enemy's sake, but for our sake. Sometimes we have to loudly resist him with that spiritual weapon. Now, the man may have to say, according to Ephesians chapter 5, I'm commanded to love my wife. This is not an emotion. This is a choice. It's a commandment. So I choose to love her, and I resist all those negative thoughts that are coming from the enemy. I'm going to be obedient to God. Or the wife may have to say, according to Ephesians chapter 5, I'm commanded to respect my husband, and I choose to respect him. I'm going to do this in obedience to God. Now, one of the best tools that a mate can use is to make a list of things that he or she appreciates about their partner. And then when those negative thoughts come in to begin to bombard your mind, you might need to actually get out your list and read it to the enemy. Answer the enemy with that list. See, those thoughts that he puts in your mind are sometimes so big that we just feel like we're overpowered by them. But see, that's the seductive part of his plan. Now, there is no area in a person's life where the enemy is going to try harder to tear down than in a marriage. And the reason is because there's more to lose in the marriage arena than in any other area of life. Now, if couples knew how important it was, they would literally just turn themselves wrong side out to do everything in their power to do it God's way. Okay, let me give you another example. I worked with one girl who got into a backslidden condition, and it all started with just a mind thought that she ignored instead of answering. She had been serving the Lord, and she was full of joy, and she was full of peace, and she was so excited about walking with God, and a few harassments came and started bothering her, and one day she just had the thought, my prayers aren't being answered anymore. That was just as simple as that. And no one knew what was going on in her life, but I talked to her later, and I found out that just that little thought, my prayers aren't being answered anymore. God's not answering my prayers. And one day, she just walked off. She went back into the world. Things got so bad in the world that she started coming back to the Lord. But it was a very painful and a totally unnecessary experience. And I talked with her at length many, many times, and I asked her, why on earth did you just one day just walk off? And I found out it was not the harassments that robbed her walk. It was the thought that her prayers were not being answered. It was the thought that God didn't care about her anymore. And she said that 
she kept pushing it out of her conscious mind and she wouldn't think on it consciously. She would just ignore it. But instead of overcoming it with the word of God, it became a stronghold and it almost destroyed her. Because see, subconsciously, she began to believe in her subconscious thinking that God wasn't there. Now, we talked about ways in which she could have answered the enemy. You know, she could have taken any scripture. God will never leave me. He'll never forsake me. She could have taken Romans 8, verse 35, where it says, What can separate me from the love of God? Can tribulation, can distress, can peril, can sower, can these thoughts that are coming, can these separate from me from God? No, in all these things, I am overwhelmingly a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me. And she could have said, no. God's not going to leave me. He loved me enough to give himself for me. He's not going to leave me. He's never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. And that assignment would have been over. And she could have saved herself all of those problems. See, that word spoken over and over in faith would have put the enemy to flight. And it would have killed that erroneous thought that God didn't care about her. There's so many times that we could have the assignment over that fast if we would just use the Word of God. But instead, we push it over to the side, and it's sitting over there, and it's growing. It's growing the whole time it's there. And we could have taken care of it in five minutes. See, the pain we endure when we don't fight the enemy and when we don't do it God's way. Now, you need to look up all of the aggressive battle statements in the Word of God. You'll be shocked to find how many there are. One of the writers will say, stand firm. Another one will say, give no place to the enemy. Peter says, your adversary, the devil, roams about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but resist him firm in your faith and he'll flee from you. Jesus said in John 10, 10, that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. He was trying to tell us how the thief's going to act. He's going to try to steal from us. He's going to try to kill you. He's going to try to destroy everything that belongs to you. But Jesus said, but I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Later look up 1 John 3 verse 8. It tells us that Jesus came for the purpose of destroying the works of the devil. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He didn't come to ignore the devil. And we're called according to his purposes. Okay, what's his purpose? His purpose is to destroy the works of the devil, the thoughts that come from the enemy. So we're called for the same purpose, to destroy those thoughts, not to ignore them. Now, Dodie Osteen, the wife of Pastor John Osteen in Houston, Texas, had terminal liver cancer, and they had given her about two months to live. But she and her husband did not ignore the enemy for one moment. They continually confessed she'll live and not die, and she will declare the wondrous works of God. She said that every time the clock would say 10 minutes after 10, that would remind her, John 10, 10. And she'd say, no, devil, you're not going to steal from me. You're not going to kill me, and you're not going to destroy me. I will live, and I will not die, and I will declare the wondrous works of God. And she said that every single time she answered the enemy. They said even in the face of the doctors many times that they would stand up and answer with the Word of God. They weren't just voicing words, but they were voicing their conviction. They had built a conviction down in their heart, and she's totally healed today. Take any normal day. You're going to find out that if you'll notice the thoughts that go through your mind in a normal day, that you'll be surprised how many of them are negative thoughts coming from the enemy that we just ignore and we live with. We don't pay any attention to them. Thoughts like, I feel so out of place at church. You know, nobody ever notices me. Or I feel out of place at school. Or nobody likes me. Or I feel like a misfit. 
See, we need to answer those thoughts. Don't ignore them. When we ignore them, we're buying that thought in our subconscious thinking. For example, if we accept that thought, I feel like a misfit, we're going to find out that pretty soon we're going to start acting like a misfit because we always act out what it is that we think on. We're going to eventually let it come into our actions and it'll usually come out our mouth. Or maybe thoughts like, my father had a heart attack when he was 55 and I'm going to be 55 next month. Or thoughts like, my mother had cancer before she was 39. I wonder what's going to happen to me. You need to answer those thoughts. What does the Word of God say? Okay, the Word tells us that that's a curse. Diseases that are handed down through the bloodline are curses. And you need to answer those with scriptures like Galatians 3.13, that we're redeemed from the curse. Jesus became a curse for us when He took the curses on Calvary and began to answer the enemy, I have a new inheritance now. My inheritance is not in what my earthly parents have left for me. My inheritance is in Jesus Christ. He has redeemed me from the curse. He's reversed the curse. You know, so many people have thoughts like, something bad always happens around holidays. And I've had people say that to me so many times. Well, you know that's the thought that they have if they're saying it out their mouth. Well, answer that. Psalm 112 verse 7 says, I'm not going to fear evil tidings. My heart is steadfast, trusting in you, Lord. Our thoughts like, my memory is getting so bad, I've gotten where I can't remember a thing. How many times have we thought that and finally voiced it? See, demon spirits come in the form of a thought. You're actually answering a demon spirit when that negative thing is coming against you to try to pull you into destruction. And you need to answer him and say, I have the mind of Christ. My mind is blessed. God's not given me a spirit of fear, but he's given me power and he's given me love and he's given me a sound mind. Or I'm no good at relationships. I always seem to fail in every relationship that I have. Well, if we don't answer it God's way, we probably will fail at all of our relationships. Something needs to rise up out of our spirit and our conviction needs to speak. And if we don't have a conviction about what the Word of God says, whatever it is that the enemy has coming against us, then we need to make it a top priority to get into the Word, find out what the Word has to say, and work on it until we build a conviction. This Word needs to be our final authority in every area of our life. If you don't know what the promises are, then get a promise book and read the promise book and, and just read it every day and just soak in what God has said to you as His child. And I'm not talking about letting your fear talk. You know, many times we quote the Word, but we're quoting it out of fear and our voice is shaking while we're quoting it. Okay, if that be the case, then we need to come against that fear. Begin to quote 2 Timothy 1.7. God's not given me that spirit of fear, but He's given me power. He's given me His Word. He's given me love. Love casts out all fear. And He's given me that sound mind of discipline. And confess it. Find out what the Word says. I've seen on more than one occasion when Satan would plant just a, a little subtle thought of strife or disagreement with those that are in authority over us. It might be in the home, it may be a situation there, or maybe a situation where you're working or your business or, or in a church situation. See, if the enemy can't get us to start a ruckus against those that are in authority over us, then his next plan is to get us just to put those little thoughts of irritation over to the side and ignore them, pretend they're not there. And what happens, that sounds like the noble thing to do, but it's not because those thoughts don't go away. See, they have to be fought down. Those are weapons. Those are fiery darts coming from the enemy. 
And if that person doesn't rise up and say, I'm going to pray for my leaders, I command this thought to be gone in Jesus' name, I put the blood of Jesus over my mind, and in Jesus' name, I will not fall for the temptation to grumble or be disgruntled. I'm not going to sin against God in that way. See, if a person doesn't do warfare that way, then what begins to happen is disunity begins to grow in the heart. And strife begins to breed. And when strife breeds, then more strife comes in. See, it starts with ignoring. That's why it's so important for us not to do it. It starts by ignoring. And then we start taking every prescribed step that the enemy lays out. Now, I can't tell you the number of people who can't sleep at night and that insomnia simply started with a thought. Maybe just the little thought of, I've lain here for hours and I haven't been able to go to sleep. And then suddenly they're wide awake for the rest of the night. How many times do we get up and do warfare with that thought? And we say, God's given his beloved sweet sleep and I will sleep. Versus the number of people who just ignore it and endure a sleepless night. Now, most insomnia starts with some thought that gets our mind revved up and we begin to mentally start trying to work out these problems. And sometimes we have to retrace our thoughts until we find the culprit and then answer it with God's Word. And sometimes it's so subtle and sometimes it's such a fleeting thought that we didn't even consciously remember that we thought it, but our subconscious caught it. So if you keep ignoring those thoughts that keep you awake instead of answering them, you might find yourself in a full-blown insomnia attack. Now I want you to look at Genesis 4 verse 6. There's a spiritual law called the law of first mentions. We're going to find that every important thing in the Word of God has its seed in Genesis, in the book of beginnings. In other words, it's first mentioned there. That's why it's called the law of first mentions. So I think it's significant now that in the very first book, in the book of Genesis, God addresses strongholds. And he actually tells us what to do about it. In Genesis 4 verse 6, the Lord God said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? Okay, he's gotten angry and he's so angry, evidently he's just thinking on it, but he's so angry that it's beginning to show on his face. And so God says, why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Have you ever truly mastered a child by continually ignoring their willful disobedience? No, we never have. Okay, your thoughts are just exactly like children. If your child sassed you or refused to mind in some other way, how many of us know that if we ignored that problem continually that we would eventually have a full-blown problem on our hands and it would get worse as we let it go on? Okay, we don't ignore a potential problem like that. We answer that. We take care of it. Okay, it's exactly the same way. If you'll think of your thoughts as children, if you ignore those thoughts, it's going to get worse. But when you answer it and take care of it God's way, it handles it immediately. See, God was telling Cain, he said, sin is crouching at the door. In other words, he's saying these thoughts are in your mind. They're crouching at the door of your mind. And he said, you master it. Now, Cain didn't do it, and he ended up in murder. But God was saying, don't ignore those thoughts. Master them. And he's saying exactly the same thing to us. This is the law of first mentions, and he's telling us, when that sin is crouching at the door of our mind, we have to be the one to master it. 
I had a girl call me from out of state and she had been on antidepressants for a long time. And she said she'd be doing fine and all of a sudden it would just be like the ground washed out from under her and she'd go into deep depression. So she called me one day and her words were, you've been there, will I get well or is this my lot in life? And I was there for eight years and a depressants had become a way of life. And I knew I had an answer for her if she could just hear what I had to say. But I knew it was so simple that I wasn't sure she would go ahead and put it to work. See, the reason that a lot of people don't go ahead and come on through and get the cure is because they don't carry through with this. I asked her what the thought was that preceded one of these depression periods. Now that doesn't sound like a very important thing to ask, but it was very important. I said, what is the thought? See, you have to retrace your thoughts and you have to discover the thought that triggered whatever it is that you're fighting. And she said, well, the doctor just calls it anxiety attacks. There are no thoughts attached to it. And I said, no, that's not true. There is a thought that triggered that depression. There's a thought that triggered the problem. Now, in her case, it might have just been a thought of fear, the fear of I'm going to slip into this depression again. You know, sometimes it can be as simple as that. Sometimes those thoughts are so fleeting that we overlook them, but they're there. There was a thought there. And those demon thoughts come in first person. So many times we think it's our own thinking. It's one of the reasons we overlook it. But we have to trace it down every time. And then once we've traced it back, overcome it with the word. Now, most of us recognize what we're doing wrong after we're in full-blown warfare and after we've cratered in fear. And usually by that time, we're so far under that we have to have somebody else help us get out. But most of us don't see the scheme early enough. We don't recognize that it was a thought back there that we ignored. And the entire attack could have been avoided. That's what I'm wanting us to hear today. The entire attack that we labor under could be avoided if we just realized it was a thought back there that we ignored. Every single person who's ever ended up in bitterness or criticism or they've gotten into rebellion or they've gotten into hurt or strife or sexual impurity or self-pity or anything else, whatever it is, they had a thought back there that they ignored instead of answering it God's way. And you may think, well, surely I can get by with just letting my mind think on a few things every once in a while. Surely that's not going to matter. Listen, we can't. We absolutely can't. We cannot afford that luxury. I don't care how spiritually mature we think we are. We're no match for the devil's subtle thoughts if we don't handle them God's way. Now, what you ignore is building in you every single day. That's the enemy's objective to build a stronghold. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. There's a lot of scriptures in the Word of God on spiritual warfare, but this is probably the best one. You need to mark this and write out in the margin because this is a spiritual warfare weapon that lets you know how to fight the enemy. But in 2 Corinthians 10, starting with verse 3, it says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. In other words, though we're in this physical body, this fleshly body, our fight can never be done in a fleshly way. It can't be done with fleshly weapons or it doesn't work. And the reason is because the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. We may be in a fleshly body, but the weapons of our warfare 
are not fleshly weapons, but they're weapons that have been made powerful by divine means. They're divinely empowered so that they can destroy fortresses. If you have a King James, it says so that it will destroy strongholds. It will destroy speculations. You know what that means when you begin to speculate, vain imaginations? And it tears down every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we're to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Have you noticed that everything you're fighting here is something in the mind? That's where the battleground is. And so all of our weapons are divinely empowered to pull down these strongholds. Now many times we don't think of a thought as being a stronghold, but it is. When we keep that thought there, it builds the stronghold. There's a stronghold built when we get into bitterness or when we get into any of these things. And we have to rise up against these speculations. We have to rise up against these vain imaginations and take those thoughts captive with the weapons that God's given to us. Now God called it an exchange system. We're to exchange every thought from the enemy for a thought from God's Word. That's all it is, is an exchange system. We're to say whatever it is that God's Word says on the subject and say it until we mean it, until it becomes a conviction. And then we've exchanged that thought. And as we do it over and over, what happens? Our mind finally becomes totally renewed to the Word of God. Now, a good way to remember it is, if you've ever been on a trip to different countries, if you've gone abroad, you'll get different monies from the different countries. Well, when you come back to customs, then they have these exchange booths where you go back and you exchange that money that you've collected from the different countries. You change it back into American currency before you come home. Now, when we went to Israel, we only had to go to one of those booths because we hadn't been to any other countries. But there were other people who went to all these different lines, stood in these different lines, and exchanged their money back for their American currency so that when they got home, they had all of the right money back. Well, the Lord showed me one day when I was standing there watching them stand in these different lines, the Lord showed me that that's exactly what we do. We just take all these thoughts and we go and deposit it back and get our right thinking, get God's thinking back. Now, the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth's going to speak. Well, it's the mind that fills the heart and then it's out of the abundance of the heart. Then eventually it comes out of our mouth. So as we renew our mind with the washing of the water of the Word, what it does, not only does it cleanse our mind and our thinking, but it's also cleansing our heart at the same time. Now, I don't care whether the thought is having to do with our physical body sickness or disaster or whatever the thought is, whatever the assignment is, you're going to find that there is a promise in the Word of God that will take care of it. You can't come up with an assignment from the enemy that's not covered in the Word of God. And God has given us that so we can exchange it, so that we can resist with it. The answer is written in the Word of God. And that's why Jesus said it is written. Now there are no promises in the Word of God for the people that ignore. And that thought may have to be exchanged 25 times an hour for a while if it's already built up into a stronghold. But it's worth it because we'll eventually win. But it may mean that you're having to trust God's Word when He says, my children are not going to go by sight, but they're going to go by faith in the Word. There may be a period of time when you're confessing it, when you're not seeing anything, and you're having to go by faith that it's going to be taken care of. Now that's a tall assignment, but it gets easier because Hebrews 5.14 tells us that by practice we mature. And what is practice? It's doing something over and over and over again. 
And you say, well, what about those times when disaster strikes with no warning? Well, it's still going to be a matter of answering the enemy. But think about the fact that there's preventive medicine in the physical realm. We take preventive medicine sometimes, maybe vitamins to build ourselves up, to take care of it before it happens. Okay, there's also preventive confessions, and that's simply the process of answering Satan ahead of time. And I do that with covenants. I've written covenants over my children based on the Word of God that God gives me for my children. I have a covenant over my marriage and Psalm 91 over protection and over health. And I have a general covenant that I don't read every day, but I read it pretty often that tells me who I am in Christ Jesus. And as I say that ahead of time, what that's doing, that's building us up in our most holy faith ahead of time. And some people say, well, is that not just a little bit presumptuous? It would be if those confessions and those covenants were based on things that I thought up and I was telling God what he had to do. But see, that's not the case. See, everything in those covenants are based on what God has told us that he's already done for us. All we're doing is we're getting in agreement with what he said and we're releasing our faith to bring it to pass. That's how you answer the enemy before he has time to strike. But I still believe that if we'll watch very closely, we're going to see that there is just a moment in there, a moment of time between the recognition of what's happening and our reaction. And I believe that in that split second, that what we do right in there in that little area of time, that little window of time, whatever we do can change the whole course of history. Jack and my dad were putting a roof on the barn years and years ago. And Dad was on one side of the gable and Jack was on the other side and Jack's foot slipped through and when it did, he went crashing down. Now they were about 30 feet and he went crashing down and his rib cage caught on the rafters and he was able to grab hold before he fell on through. And the lower half of his body was just dangling there 30 feet up and he was struggling to hang on and he said the thought just flashed across his mind, I've broken every bone in my body. <laughs> I think his leg scraped as it went down and he thought he had broken his leg. He felt like all of his ribs were broken and, and his arm, one of his arms felt like it had broken. And my dad couldn't see what had happened because he was on the other side of the gable. And I don't think this was any coincidence because he yelled over and he said, did you break anything? And Jack said that what he thought he was going to say was, I've broken every bone in my body. But in that brief moment of time, what came out his mouth was, the bones of the righteous will not be broken. And he said he even shocked himself. And my dad then, he said, oh good. And he went right on working. Jack had to hoist himself back up, get back up on the roof. But there were no broken bones. See, in that split second, he could have gone either way. And I believe so many times we change the course of history with how we answer. Before either of the kids were married, they were driving home from Oklahoma, and they had a friend with them. There were three of them in the front seat of the pickup. And they were at a side road waiting to pull out on the freeway when they saw this 18-wheeler coming down the highway, and it was totally out of control. They said that it would go clear to one side and tilt, and then it'd come clear back to the other side of the road and, and tilt the other way. And they knew that that driver was desperately trying to keep that truck from overturning. And they expected him to go right down the freeway. They were just watching as he went by. But evidently, he must have seen that side road and saw it as a chance to get off the main road. And so they said the next thing they knew, that he had made this wide turn and he was coming straight for them. And he was close enough that they could see his eyes. They all said that his eyes were as big as saucers. 
And they said that they knew there was no way that there could be anything except a head-on. And they said instantly they were all three screaming out to God to help. And they said all of a sudden, they didn't know how it happened, but he was on the back side of him instead of in front of him. And they looked back, and he had gotten the truck stopped, and he was all draped over the steering wheel. I probably wasn't sure what had happened. But I'm sure he, too, thought that it was a head-on. And, and they got home in the middle of the night, and all three of them came and just piled in the bed with us. And they were all talking at the same time. But in that split second, they had screamed out to God. See, they answered the destruction that was right on top of them. It is so important that our mind and our voice goes in God's direction in that split second of time because I believe we have a window of time. I've read testimonies of people who rose up at a bad report and they said out of the conviction of their heart, no, it is written. And they saw the situation turn around. And I've known a lot of people who got the results and because they didn't realize they had a choice, they just accepted it. And then there's a third group that hears something and they just ignore it, hoping it'll go away. Now the last two groups, those that ignore and those that accept, many times will see destruction come. See, it's in the resistance. It's in the spiritual warfare. It's in telling Satan no. Not based on our word, but based on the word of God that we're going to win the battle. Now Bill Basansky, he's a great teacher of the word from the Ukraine. And he made this statement. He said, Satan can't do anything to you without telling you first. I believe that. Sometimes it may even be in a dream that the enemy tries to come against us. We have to answer those dreams. But when he tells you something, answer him with God's Word and then believe God to move in that situation. You may have to answer him until you've built a conviction, but it's worth the effort because it's God's way and God will fight our battle. Father, I thank you that you have given answers in your word for every single thing that the enemy could come with. Father, there's absolutely nothing that the enemy can do to us that you have not covered in your word. Now, Lord, I thank you that you've allowed us to come into covenant with you. You've allowed us to come into agreement with your word. Lord, you've allowed us to see as an example how Jesus answered the enemy. And, Lord, I thank you that that we're not going to ignore. We're not going to just shove those thoughts aside and not pay any attention to them. But Father, I thank you that we're going to learn to take your word and we're going to learn to do that warfare. And we're going to learn to be victorious. Father, I know that we could ward off many, many things that we've just taken and accepted and allowed them to just roll over us. But Father, I thank you that we've come to the end of that. We're not going to do that anymore. Father, I thank you that we're determining in our heart that we are going to be more than conquerors in every situation. And Lord, we thank you that you'd never leave us. You never forsake us. And you're there to bring the victory. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. Please share this teaching with anyone you think it would minister to. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org.